Thanks for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City Podcast. Our mission is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. If you'd like to visit us in person, we are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway here in beautiful Johnson City, Tennessee. You can become a giving partner by visiting us at believerschurchjc.com. We love you, we are praying for you, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, we'd like to welcome you guys again to Believer's Church. Thank you so much for being with us today. If it's your first time with us, we are grateful that you're here. This is a very, very good day to be here. This is the last part of our series, A New Thing. We've been at the last four weeks. We talked about within week one that this was what was bringing our church to the next level. I'm going to echo that today in our fourth Sunday that we're going through this, this series that this is the series that's going to bring us to the next level in our prayer lives, and our lives of expectation, and our lives of cleansing and repentance, the things that we've talked about. And I'm just so thrilled that you guys are here with us today. So there is this famous story, some of you may be familiar with this story, about a young Billy Graham coming to terms with the hard parts of the Bible. I think we could all agree there are some hard parts of the Bible. Billy went through a period in which he struggled to accept the Bible as God's word. One night in the woods of western North Carolina, he opened up his Bible and he placed it on a tree stump. After much prayer and pondering, he acknowledged that there would be things in the Bible that he would never be able to understand, but that he was still going to fully trust in the Bible as God's word. And the rest, as they say is history. So again, we're in the final part of a four-week series titled A New Things, and we're discussing the ingredients for an outpouring or spiritual awakening within the church, a revival movement within the church. And we've discussed three different commitments so far. The first commitment is a a commitment to cleansing or a commitment to repentance. If we are going to move forward as a church, there is sin within this room There are things within this church body that need to be dealt with. We have to be a consecrated people, set apart, understanding that if we're going to experience the power of God move, there are certain things that we have to take care of in our lives and also systematically and corporately as a church. Maybe some things that we need to look at. There is also in week two, we talked about a commitment to expectation. Are we... And expecting people. Whenever we show up here, is it, well, I love my church, it's a great Sunday thing, or are we walking in expecting God to move? As I often say, and including this morning when I was praying in the Ingalls parking lot, before I got here to pray some more, I approach every single time that I have an opportunity to speak with you guys as possibly the last time that I'm ever going to have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And people look at me a little bit crazy sometimes, but I expect miracles every day of my life. Every day I walk into the possibility of God doing something new. And this place of expectation beyond the distraction is where we must be. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about the commitment to intimacy, What does intimacy look like with God when we understand that we are the priesthood of all believers, that as individuals through the week we must consecrate ourselves and understand what an intimate relationship 
with God as a disciple of Jesus looks like. So today we're going to go, let me say this also, all three of those commitments have to be deeply informed by prayer. Prayer is the central thing to all of this. But the fourth commitment that must be there that we're going to talk about today is a commitment to the authority of Scripture. There must be, you guys might have wondered, well, are we going to talk about revival or a new thing or an outpouring and not talk about how important the Bible is? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Because we have ventured very, very far, not just within culture, but within our churches as it pertains to the importance of the Word of God. So I'm going to be in Second Chronicles this morning if you want to turn there. You, you've probably noticed if you've been here every week that all of this has come from the Old Testament. So we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 34, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. And I hope that this skipping around, I hope I don't mess up as I'm looking at my Bible, but in order to get the narrative of this story the best way that I possibly could, I want to look at the first five verses, and then I want to go to verse 8, and then I want to look at verses 14 through 19, then verse 21, and then verses 30 through 32. Are you confused yet? All you have to do is follow the screen up here. And I'll try to make sure that I can stay in the right place in my Bible. This is an incredible story of renewal about bringing the Word of God, the law of God, back to where it belongs. So chapter 34, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's eyes and walked in the ways of his ancestor David not deviating from it even a bit to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his rule, I'm sorry, in the 8th year of his rule, while he was just a boy, he began to seek the God of his ancestors, David. And in the 12th year, he began purifying Judah and Jerusalem of the shrines, the sacred poles, idols, and images. Under his supervision or under his leadership, The altars for the bells were torn down, and the incense altars that were above them were smashed. He broke up the sacred poles, idols, and images, grinding them to dust and scattering them over the graves of those he had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests. He's really hardcore. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, purifying Judah and Jerusalem. Down to verse 8. In the 18th year of his rule, after he had purified the land of the temple, Josiah sent Elizaiah, son Shaphan, Maaseiah, the mayor of the city of Joaz's son Joah, the secretary, to repair the Lord his God's temple. Now going over to verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the instruction scroll. That's the important find. That the Lord had given through Moses. Hilkiah told the secretary Shaphan, I have found the instruction scroll in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah turned the scroll over to Shaphan, who brought it to the king with this report. Your servants are doing everything that you've asked them to do. They have released the money that was found in the Lord's temple, and they have handed it over to the supervisors and to the workers. Then the secretary Shaphan told the king, the priest Hilkiah has given me the scroll. And he read it aloud before the king. As soon as the king heard the instruction scroll, he ripped his clothes. Down to verse 21. Go and ask the Lord on my behalf. 
on behalf of those who still remain in Israel and Judah concerning the contents of this scroll that has been found. The Lord must be furious with us because our ancestors failed to obey the Lord's word and do everything that was written in this scroll. Then the king went up to the Lord's temple together with all of the people of Judah and all of the citizens of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, young and old alike. There the king read out loud all of the words of the covenant scroll, meaning they were there for a while, that had been found in the Lord's temple. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant with the Lord that he would follow the Lord by keeping his commandments, his instructions, and his regulations with all of his heart and his being in order to fulfill the words of the covenant that were written in the scroll. Then he made everyone found in Jerusalem and and Benjamin join in this similar promise. They're all joining in on this covenant. The citizens of Jerusalem lived according to the covenant made with God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah began leading at an early age, eight years old, and he was considered to be the greatest king since David. He came to rule after two generations of sin and idol worship, which were his father and his grandfather. Josiah read the book of the law when found, and he made a covenant that would lead to renewal. In this moment, in our passage today, he makes a covenant to bring the people of God back. We need to be on the forefront of making a covenant to bring renewal as the church. So Josiah, in his ministry, he does a lot of things right. But central to his success, this young man's success, is an unwavering return to the Word of God. The scroll that we read about, that's the Word of God. So make no mistake about it. Revival, a movement of God, will never be actualized. And hope will never occur if the words of the very breath of God are placed in the background. And in this case, hidden or buried. Move completely away from the work that we are supposed to be doing. So on one side of this issue, we have people that want to use the Bible. We've got to be real about this today. We have people on one side of this issue that want to use the Bible as a weapon. Reading scripture as a list of rules and regulations that breeds a familiar form of self-righteousness that if we're going to be very real right now, is the reason that some of you left church for a long time. It's the reason that th- all throughout my 20s, I was completely away from the church. There may be some of you that are in here right now today, and you're really still on the fence about the church. Or is this place a good place? Is it somewhere that I can really trust? Because you think that people are using this book right here as a weapon and constantly preaching against you when you don't see these things lived out in their lives. So then on the other side of the issue, the Bible can't be hidden in a corner. And that's what we see a lot. Only used for occasional reference or discussed in the context of the parts that we like avoiding the parts that we dislike and never talking about that. Every single week, right now in this country and and all over the world globally, a pastor or a priest 
is making the choice to starve the people of spiritual food because they're afraid of the pushback. Because they're afraid that people are going to leave their church for the church down the road. That all they're talking about is love and compassion and all the real fuzzy stuff, which is very, very important, by the way, but not actually bringing the Word of God and the authority of what that means to the forefront so that people are really being fed the food that they just can't receive anywhere else. This book is still life-giving. It's still life-changing. It's still the answer, and there's something in it for every person with every problem they could possibly have. But instead, what we've done is we've weaponized it, or we've pushed it away and said, well, it's not, it's not relevant like it used to be. It's outdated, and it's not necessarily very important. And as a result, we're creating institutions that are built around community but, but a new thing is completely choked out of what could possibly happen. The, the power of God completely removed. So jo, Josiah helps us understand what it's like when Scripture has been lost. It's not in the picture, but then it's been retrieved. And then it's brought back in. And it starts to breathe brand new life into people. So the, for, for the purpose of this new thing... For the purpose of going forward, there's just a few things that we need to understand about this book. And the first is this. We must rid ourselves of what could replace the Scripture. We must rid ourselves of anything that could replace the Scripture because nothing can replace it. And we've tried to use, we'll go through a video series, we'll go through a group study, we'll do all of these things... And this book right here is completely in the background, and we are absolutely starving people of what is here. So within every generation, every generation, since the early church, the enemy produces a lie about the Bible. The lie of this generation, here it is, especially for the young people in the room, this is the lie of this generation. The Bible is morally outdated. It's morally outdated. It can't speak into the issues and the problems as much as society has changed in a variety of different ways. And you know what some of you have done? And a lot of people in the church, people in churches, every single Sunday, they've taken that in. And they've said, there's still parts here that are relevant. We've got to talk about the love of Jesus. We've got to talk about some of these things that are really special that include everyone, bring everyone in. But otherwise, when we get to certain places... We kind of have to admit that it's the 21st century, and some of this just isn't, some of this is kind of yucky. Some of this is pretty oppressive towards certain groups of people. Some of this is not where we're supposed to be, and what we do is we completely deprive people. Please hear me when I say this. The day that you begin to pick and choose what you agree with and disagree with in the Bible is the origin story of your spiritual death. The day that the Bible starts to become archaic, irrelevant, or less of a priority for you is the day that your oxygen is lost. The day that you choose self-care or self-help over your Bible in times and moments of crisis is when the coffin closes. Now back to Josiah, verse 3. In the eighth year of his rule... 
which would make him about 16 years old, while he was just a boy, he began to seek the God. It all begins. A new thing, an outpouring, a work of God, a movement of the Holy Spirit always starts with seeking, and seeking is about prayer. So he's on his face. God, what is it that I'm supposed to do to make this situation right? So he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. In the 12th year, he began purifying Judah and Jerusalem of the shrines, the sacred poles, the idols, and the images, or, in other words, the things that could replace the scripture, the things that could replace the law. So what we're doing is we're bringing all these programs and all these strategies and all of these different moves of thought and all of these ideologies, and we don't recognize that we're doing it, but we're bringing these things in to replace the Bible. So Josiah, as just a boy, makes an intentional decision to rid Judah and Jerusalem of all of the things that are toxic for the soul. It's like in the moment we think these are good things. In the moment we think these are things that could possibly benefit us because we're becoming more relevant to people in society. We're bringing in all of these other people where at the same time we are pushing the Bible, we're hiding it. We're placing it in a corner, we're burying it. Just like we see with Josiah. So there's this popular self-care app. Um, it's called I Am. You might be familiar with it. Maybe some of you have it. The description of the app reads this. Empower yourself. Don't you just love that? Empower yourself by verbally affirming your dreams and ambitions. And I use this just to suggest that this is where society, especially our young people, are today. Empower yourself by verbally affirming your dreams and ambitions. This would have been very popular in ancient Judah. And it's very popular among a lot of Christians today. Now, please understand this. I am not against self-affirming language. You should feel good about yourself. You should love yourself. And one of the things that hurts me more than anything in this world is to see teenagers or young people struggle with insecurity, with body image, with all of these things that they may consider to be so negative. There is a, a mental health epidemic among our young people. So don't get me wrong. I am for self-affirming language. But if it directs us toward self-indulgence and away from the cross of Christ, we are resurrecting the ancient idols and shrines of Judah. And this has always led to destruction. Just so you know in here, if you're trying to affirm everything good about you apart from God, your dreams, your desires, your path, your way, just a precursor, even though some of you have to learn from your own mistakes, it leads to the same destruction every single time. If you'd like me to talk about my 20s sometime and really get into details, I can show you what a train wreck really looks like. After achieving degree after degree and making more money and more money, but completely, I wouldn't even touch this thing, and I'm just going to be completely honest with you, and I want to apologize if there's, if there's small children in the room. The only thing that I used this for for a long time was in hotels to roll a joint on. And I'm just being completely honest with you. This was dead to me for a long time. And you want to know something? I was completely dead inside and rebellious and would have never admitted that to anyone. Was the joint thing too much? I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's just reality. 
And it just happens to be where I was at that particular time. So the, for, for the purpose of a new thing, there's something else that we need to understand. We have to be desperate for the truth of Scripture. It can't just be something that's present. It's something that we have to be desperate for. Awakenings happen when people go to the Bible as a source of power, hope in desperation, security in trouble, and a pathway when they don't know what to do. If you have a problem, if you're going through something, regardless of what it may look like, the answer is here. And the answer is always going to be here. This is what verse 21 says. God, <clears throat> go and ask the Lord on my behalf and on behalf of those who still remain in Israel and in Judah concerning the contents of this scroll that has been found. The Lord must be furious. He recognizes this. The Lord must be furious with us because our ancestors have failed to obey the Lord's word and do everything written in the scroll. He gets it. Dad didn't get it. Granddad didn't get it, but he's able to clearly see that it's there. And can you imagine? Can you imagine how furious and disappointed God is with the New Testament church today? Can you imagine if you look around the world, if you look at a lot of these denominational changes, if you look at churches, can you imagine how furious God is with so many churches today? And this is what we do. We slowly, because I need you to understand that the change is very subtle. We slowly move ourselves away from this life-giving word the same way that Josiah's dad and the same way that his granddad did. It starts out very subtle. And then what we start doing, and again, very subtle, is we start resurrecting idols. That's what we do around us. High production value in church. Social justice issues that do not include Jesus at the forefront. Personal platforms for leaders whose, whose integrity is not quite in a place where they can sustain that kind of platform. And it's not central in churches. It's not central for families. And it's not central for individuals. So revival is born through a combination of three things. Repentance or cleansing, which we've talked about expectation, and intimacy. This is the birth part. This is where it comes from. All of which are appetites born of Scripture through the power of God, and they can't be fed by anything else. You see, there's a lot of things in our lives we can make substitutes for. You want to watch something on Netflix, but there's not a new season out? You can substitute it for something else. Chick-fil-A's closed and you have to have Zaxby's, you can make a, can you make that substitution? Oh, okay, some of you say no, okay. All right. But in most things in life, we are able to make substitutions in needed times. Spiritual nourishment or malnourishment is not one of those things. There are not other places that you can go in these absolutely critical moments to receive what it is that you need to be able to receive. So I ask you this question, and I'll tell you what I did. This is, this is old faithful right here. So this is my Bible. I preach out of the Common English Bible. I usually study out of the NRSV. Okay? So when we talk about desperation for Scripture, how many of you, in moments of depression, in moments of anxiety, in moments of deep, dark 
pain have slept with this book, have had this beside you, have been in a situation in your life where your, your spouse maybe comes up to bed or you go up to bed and you see the Bible just opened up beside them because they know and they understand what you're going through. In the early years of our marriage, whenever Beth and I would get in a really bad argument, I would go straight to my car and I would drive to the bar. I would cool off. I would go upstairs and sleep in a separate bedroom. Whenever I got sober, every single time that we're in an argument, every single time that we're struggling, every single time I have a difficult moment with one of you guys and I don't know what to do, or I get bad news about a situation, I go directly here. Because I know that this is the life-giving word and there is not a substitution for it. So how many of you have ever been in a situation where it's the middle of the night and that depression is really thick or that darkness is really thick and you just start Googling verses? Like we can do that now. Like scripture based on trust. Scripture based on doubt. Scripture based on depression. Scripture based on fear. And you found yourself like in the middle of the night with nowhere else to turn. I don't know what they did in the 80s. But you have nowhere else to turn. They knew, they knew their Bible. That was the difference. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, we're Googling all these verses. And we're just like, I need hope. Like I can't scroll through Facebook at this moment. Like I can't go to these other places. Like I have to have something that's going to give me some security in this moment. How many of you with a fresh cup of coffee... 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, you're, you're a late riser. 10 a.m., you're doing your quiet time. You get the Bible out. You've had three or four dry days where you've done your quiet time and maybe the Scripture hasn't really spoken. You can be honest about that. It's not fire for me every time I open the book. But then all of a sudden in that moment with your coffee and the sun's out and it just hits you. like that. It's like medicine. And it just hits you in this way. And you're able to carry that verse or that passage, sometimes not just through the rest of that day, but for days and days and days. How many of you have looked at a particular passage over and over since you were a new Christian? And then all of a sudden you read it again and it bursts with new meaning. And you're like, how did I never see this? Like, how did I never recognize this? I've never even paid attention to this part of the story. There's no other book that does that. There's no other thing that does that. There is nothing that replaces what that's like. And some of you are looking like, I do not have that experience with the Bible. Well, we need to talk. Because it is the greatest thing in the world. This is not only what sustains your soul and the soul of your family. But it sustains the soul and the life of a church. And it has to be at the center of what we do. So what's lacking in most churches, if we're just going to be really honest, is a desperation for the scripture. Now people have a desperation for a word from their pastor. They have a, a desperation for a word from their favorite podcast. But they don't understand that we represent the priesthood of all believers. And every single person in here can have that experience this afternoon. You can have this today. You've got to be able to step away from that podcast. You've got to be able to step away from me. And this life-giving word has to become real for you. And when it does, when that coal starts to burn, and that fire is lit... 
we start to see the revival power of God. So what did Solomon say about his value? its value? He said this, my teaching will give you a long and prosperous life. He's talking about the value of the law. Never let go of loyalty and faithfulness. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This stuff is really important. Make it a part of your life every single day. Because when you do this, God and people will be pleased with you. You know this verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In this law, don't lean on your own understanding. This translation says, and we need to hear this about modern culture, if we think it's outdated, never rely on what you think you know. Never rely. If you're in here, the Bible's outdated, the Bible's old, we, gotta, we just got to put this book away. We need to look at modern science, we need to take into consider all these things. Never rely. This is written thousands of years ago. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything that you do, whenever you're at the grocery store, whenever you're at school, whenever you're going to sleep, and he will show you the right way. Listen to this, same passage, never let yourself think that you're wiser than you are. Well, this is what the Bible really says about this. Well, this is where the Bible, even though this interpretation's brand new, this is what the Bible, or this is why the Bible's not so important. Solomon says, never let you think you're wiser than you are. Simply obey the Lord and refuse to do wrong. If you do, listen, if you can just do that, it will be like good medicine. Healing your wounds and easing your pain in every single moment. In the darkness of your depression, that breakup was awful. The the diagnosis from the doctor was awful. Everything that's going on seems to be horrible. But all of a sudden, you recognize when you open up this book that everything is going to be okay. David wrote, your word is like honey on my lips. It's a lamp for my feet. And it's a light for my path. It shows me where to go. And how to do life. So we got to be desperate for the truth of Scripture. But then also, we have to commit to the truth of Scripture. As a church, and as individual believers, if we want revival. Because I don't know if you've recognized it, but the tides of society has turn, have turned. And Christianity's not the big thing anymore. There is persecution. So we have to commit to the truth of Scripture. What does this look like? Verses 31 and 32. The king stood in his place and he made a covenant with the Lord. We need to make a covenant with the Lord. That he would follow the Lord by keeping his commandments, his instructions, his regulations with all of his heart and with all of his being, in order to fulfill the words of the covenant that were written in the scroll. Then he made everyone, he even took the people around him, that he found in Jerusalem and Benjamin to join in this similar promise. Let's make this covenant together. Let's make this commitment together. The citizens of Jerusalem lived according to the covenant made with God, the God of their ancestors. You see, citizens felt that Josiah was destined to become nothing more than a puppet for all of the politicians at that time. Take into consideration his age. 
Take into consideration how young he is with no experience. Some people even worried that beyond his dad and his granddad, that he could have sent Judah into new levels of darkness and degradation that they had never seen before. But you know what he does? Because he has the courage to go back to the word, and you can do this in your family, he breaks a generational curse. If there is abuse in your family, if there are drug issues in your family, if there is anger and divorce and all of these things, whenever you make the decision to return to this, you break a generational curse. And some of you that are in this room right now are stories of exactly that. And this is because, again, going back to Solomon, the word is healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Who could use some of that today? Whenever you've went through a difficult week, you've been fighting with your spouse, your job seems uncertain, you're sick, you don't know what's going on. All of the things that are going on around planet Earth that are hard, how would it feel if there was refreshment for your bones? What would that medicine feel like today if you let the Word of God come in in this exact same way? So scholar Howard Snyder says this, in every age... The true biblical gospel, the true story of Jesus is a message of newness and renewal. God has not stopped doing new things, which is good news for us. Human nature, nature wants to conserve, but the divine nature wants to renew. It seems almost a law that things initially created to aid the gospel eventually become obstacles or what we would call old wineskins. Then God has to destroy or abandon them so that the gospel wine can renew man's world once again. The question that I have for you is, will you take a drink today? Will you trust today? Will you taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good? Ezekiel and then John in Revelation, they eat the scroll. And what that means is they take it into their body and into their bones in a way that completely fills them to the brim with the Holy Spirit. Will you take it in today? Renewal breathes fresh air into the church. And renewal is experienced through an unwavering commitment to Scripture. I'm just going to be, be frank again. There's some weird stuff there. There's some stuff that I don't fully understand. There are some things that I've grown closer and closer to God. I've said, can I really? I've had my own Billy Graham moment with the Bible. Can I fully trust this? Can I fully agree with what's here? But one of the reasons that we fail with renewal is that on the far left, the Bible is considered outdated. It's considered too offensive to modern audiences. And on the far right, the Bible is used as a tool to scare people into salvation and control people by rules and regulations. Both of these voices are very, very loud. And unfortunately, outside of the church, that's what a lot of people hear. But what I'm going to recommend that we do is that we carry what is here and we carry it fully. We don't change it we don't compromise it. We don't water it down. We live it and we teach it because it is still the life-giving word.
So maybe some of you today, you're in a situation a little bit like Billy Graham was. And you don't know exactly what to do because there are these hard parts of the Bible, especially with the, with the lie that the enemy is trying to feed us, that this is not for a modern audience. This is not for today. This is an old book. It, it, it's had its time. So maybe you find yourself in that position today. So I'll close with what was going on with Billy uh, through this story. Direct quote, he said, Dropping to my knees there in the woods, I opened the Bible at random on a tree stump in front of me. I could only stutter into prayer. The exact wording of my prayer is beyond my recall, but it must have echoed these thoughts. God, there are many things in this book that I do not understand. There are many problems for it, uh, within it which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. Ever been there? I have. There are some areas that don't seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions that Chuck and the others, his friends, were raising. I was trying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken. And at last, the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. That's the faith part that everybody talks about, but very few people have. I'm going to exercise this, and I'm going to believe in this book by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I will believe this to be your inspired word. When I got up, and this is what will happen to you, when I got up from my knees that August night, my eyes stung with burning tears. I sensed the presence and the power of God that I had not felt in months. Not all of my questions were answered, and it's important that you understand that because all of your questions, they're not going to be answered till glory. They're not all going to be answered here. But a major bridge had been crossed. In my heart and in my mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. A young Josiah brought reform and renewal for one reason. He had the courage and the guts to place the scroll, the Word of God, where it belonged. Do you have that courage today? With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Father, we come to you today. And God, we know that we sometimes wrestle with, with your book. We know that sometimes it's difficult. We know on the other side of that, Father, that there may be people who, who grew up so insulated and sheltered with it that they've They've never even come out to question it, Father, and, and sometimes they've just inherited a belief system, and we can question or wonder how real that is. Father, there are a lot of people who battle with this book, a lot of people, Father, who just want to talk about how bad it is, how much it oppresses other people, all of the darkness, all the, the things in it, Father, that we simply don't understand. But God, my prayer is that you will break free in our hearts what we need to see 
and what we need to understand. And God, I want to lift up those who have potentially had a very, very challenging and difficult week. That, Father, before we go to our uh, phones for social media, or before we turn on another show, another series, or another movie, or before we go to a toxic place, Father, if it involves drugs or alcohol, that, God, we will receive from your life-giving word. And it's my uh, prayer, Father, that we will make a deeper commitment to that every single day as a church. And we'll pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Believer's Church of Johnson City Podcast. Make sure you join us again next week. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and information about Believer's Church. God bless and have a great day.